0: No matter if we've had the best parents in the world, our journey in maturity and being kings or queens, let's say, is how can we learn to give ourselves the love, give ourselves the intention, the validation, the acknowledgement, the care that we always wanted. That's really the journey. And what I've really found is men being among men, not men being among among boys, men being among real men, is what is needed in many regards. And this is why men sharpen other men. Growing up, my experience with the food that I was eating came through multiple levels or multiple degrees of separation. So for example, when I would eat food at home, let's just say it was hamburgers, I saw them in brown paper packages or clear packages, but I had no idea the farm it came from or never even saw a cow till much later on in life. And what I found is my connection to the food that I was eating, the appreciation, the amount of food that I was eating, the relationship to food just wasn't really there. And as I started growing and learning the importance of the soil and regenerative practices and connecting and appreciating the food that we're eating and sharing in community, I wanted to get closer. And so that led me to the path to buying a full beef every year from a small uh, husband and wife family farm. And then in recent years, setting up now, I think I've been on three sacred hunting experiences with Monsal Denton, the sacred hunter, where he guides beginner hunters through the rituals, the practices of hunting in a sacred way, in a ceremonial way with men, where we learn from start to finish, not only the hunting aspect of it, but how to skin an animal. We break it down. We share it among all the men. It is such a transformative experience. And I'm going to bring a small group of men with Monsel on February 29th, which is a Thursday through March 3rd, a Sunday, back out in Texas. And right now there are six spots available. If you are interested in this, you want to get closely connected to the food that you're eating, you want a transformative rite of passage experience that is unforgettable. Every hunt that I've been on has completely changed my life and that is no exaggeration. I will put my email in the show notes, just support at MikeSelemi.io. Just put in the subject line sacred hunt and I will get in contact with you ASAP to put you on a phone call with Monsel. We can tell you more about the experience, but if you're interested in this, hit us up ASAP. Would love to have a solid, solid group of men joining us on this incredible experience. Welcome to The Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. On today's episode of The Path Podcast, it is a solo cast where we are talking about how men Can sharpen other men. And that is absolutely critical. If you are a man looking to level up in life, we all need no bullshit men who can be that mirror for us, who can show us what we can't see so that we can increase our level of integrity and trustability and impact in the world. That is what we go into today. And I discuss the five ways that we can do so practically and most powerfully. Let's get into the show. I am home. I am settled. It's been almost a week and a half since I got back from Mount Shasta where I was leading Men of Movement 5. Holy smokes. We've done five men's retreats in, I think, about two and a half years. And we had about 16 men this time. And there's a a vision that I have, a memory that I have that I wanted to share from you that's going to share with you that's going to provide some context into today's podcast. And on the final day, uh, we were going on a silent hike and it was a sunrise hike. So absolutely beautiful. If you know anything about Mount Shasta, California, you know, it's the root chakra point of the world, which is something very special. Uh, Oftentimes it's one of my favorite places in the world. And what I really realize is that even when I'm not doing this kind of deep dive or leading a deep dive into inner work, when I'm on the land, I feel like there's healing going on. It's a very grounded place. It's a very powerful place, and when you're in nature, there's just something something subtle that that is very felt. It's almost like a level of nourishment or support that's happening just simply through uh being present and breathing right on the land and so we're going up to this this hike. I think it was like. Not a crazy hike, but it certainly wasn't easy. Probably about like 40 minutes up to the top of this this mountain. And what we were looking over was what's called the Heart Lake. If you look up Heart Lake on on Google Images, it'll just blow your your mind. It's so incredibly beautiful. It's actually in the shape of of a heart. And so these guys are at the top of the mountain looking at 12 o'clock Mount Shasta. And then when you look down, you've got Heart Lake. And the scene that it brings up in my mind is, if you've ever seen any pictures of like mountain goats, (laughs) when you see mountain goats just like staggered at different elevations on a mountainside, one is just insane how the hell they got there. But when I was looking up at all these men, because I was in the very back uh, of the line, when I was looking at all these men, they had found and settled into their spots, you know, separated a, a good handful of feet away from each other at all different elevations. And so I look up and all these guys are just staring right at the mountain. And so we had a few minutes of silence before I was leading this embodied breathwork practice with the drum. And when I was looking around and then beginning the practice, I had the drum. And it was so special because in one part, leading it felt like... um, well, if you've listened to, I think it's episode number one with Yaakov Darling Khan, who's a, a mentor of mine, who's been—he's a shaman, an incredible human being. He's the person who first turned me onto the shamanic drum, and in that episode, he discusses there's two uh, primordial beats and beats that have been used also in ceremony, in and out of ceremony, with or without medicine, uh, that are incredibly powerful. Uh, the first is called the mother beat or the heartbeat. And it sounds like this: boom, 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 boom. Now that is the first sound that an infant hears. Think about that for one moment. Holy shit! The first sound that all sound that all of us heard as infants was the beating of our mother's heart. So imagine how down-regulating, how nourishing, how centering that beat can be. And so I'd opened up with this beat on the mountain. It echoes like crazy. Like if I was whispering, you could hear me all the way across. So I didn't need to play loud. And I actually didn't even need to speak loud, even though some of the guys were a good distance away from me. So I started with that. And all of a sudden, every single beat, I felt more grounded and more grounded and more grounded, almost as if I was like, my feet were growing roots into the mountain and then through the guidance of some cueing and some this guided breathwork practice, the beat shifted, and the second beat that I was sharing, that are kind of the second primordial beat, is the father beat, and it's actually on a four count, and it's like this: one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, bum, 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 bum. So on the four beat, that's called the father beat. Now, the father beat is almost like a, a journey beat or a trance beat. And when you do it repetitively, that's how a lot of uh, shamanic traditions, they utilize that to help people get into these altered state, again, without even medicine, sometimes with, of course, but it's that repetitive beat and it's almost like... It's quite powerful. I found it to be incredibly helpful in meditation or in a lot of this work. And so while I'm beating that drum and these guys are all looking at the mount, I put them in a challenging posture that they had to breathe with and work with, listen to the drum, listen to the cues. And as I'm doing this, what I'm feeling is a part of myself almost, almost as if a part of myself is leaving my body and raising up over my right shoulder, maybe like a foot up into the right over my right shoulder. And in that moment, I mean, this breathwork practice, I think is probably like 12 to 15 minutes. So plenty of time of that repetitive beat to get in that rhythm, that hypnotic rhythm. And it was almost as if a part of me was beating the drum and then another part of me was witnessing myself beating the drum and then witnessing these men, which was such a surreal experience. And It gave me the um, felt experience and the felt opportunity to connect with how powerful each one of these men are, how powerful all of us are. But especially, especially, and the theme of today's podcast is how men can sharpen men or how men sharpen men when we show up in this way for ourselves. So we had just spent prior to this point, a day and a half with each other doing some very, I'm just going to say surgical work on our psyches, on our hearts, on our souls to get very clear from an embodied sense. What are the stories, especially holding us back? What are those areas in our life where we unconsciously age regress? How can we utilize the group to hone in how we want to show up for ourselves and for our families. And that is really when I was at the top of the mountain, I was just so um, in awe of these men and so grateful. And it's, it's a big reason why I do this work because it inspires the hell out of me. And even though I'm all about service and service to the world and leaving it better than when I came in and all those things that I love doing, there is also a selfish part. And to say otherwise, I don't, it's just not really acknowledging the truth. I get tons of inspiration witnessing these men show up lovingly, passionately in service of themselves and of the group, that it always leaves me feeling stronger when I go home. And just today, I was listening to uh, a re-listening to a YouTube video by this guy uh, named Robert Bly. You may be familiar with him. He's one of the OGs of maybe I would just say like the modern men's movement. He's since passed away. He was a poet, one of the greatest American poets. And he discusses something in the video that I was watching around, you know, why men by and large are the way they are today. And a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, for most all of human history, most of human history, I don't know, thousands of years, fathers remained in close proximity with their sons. They Their sons either observed them day in and day out, what they were doing, maybe uh, listening to stories or being around other men or learning how to fish or learning how to hunt, learning how to make tools. But whatever they were doing, they spent multiple, multiple hours with their father. Now, yes, there's the actual things that the fathers was imparting and teaching uh, onto their sons, But so much of it, so much of the nourishment that our sons were receiving back then happened through osmosis, happened through proximity. And right around the time of the Industrial Revolution, so maybe, I don't know, 170 years ago, that changed drastically, drastically. Once again, for most all of human histories, father and son spent a copious amount of time together. And then all of a sudden you had the Industrial Revolution where fathers were pulled from the home and then had to go work in the factories. Now that nourishment of 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 plus hours a day was gone. Suddenly, drastically. And then of course, it's going to have an impact on the child's psyche and how they experience their father and how they experience what the archetype of the father represents to them. Father represents our relationship with the world. And especially at a young age, the father's role is to validate the son or the daughter and then ultimately teach them and model and guide them into learning how to validate themselves. But by and large, not only today do we have this big um, separation in hours and time and proximity between father and son, and what that can cause, as Bly discusses briefly in the video, is it almost can lead to like a um a subtle distrust of the father. Because so many of us have, you know, no matter if we've had amazing fathers or not, but so many of us like don't really know what our fathers do, especially at a young age. We can't really relate. We just know that dad's not there. And even though Many of our fathers are providing financially and providing a safe home so that we can eat great food and go to good schools or whatever it is, provide safety. At a very young age, the child doesn't understand that. All he or she understands is that father's not there, right? And so there ends up being in the psyche almost like this, this level of distrust. And I understand times are different. Times are different. However, what I do think this brings up is You know, by and large, one, an understanding of uh, kind of more of one of the root causes of how we've, you know, when we look around today, why we do see, you know, weak men, men lacking depth, depth, uh, men who act like the lone wolf a lot of times, men who don't really have skills and traits of leadership, you know, oftentimes it's because we were never modeled it. And so we have to go out today and begin looking for that because I don't know exactly why this is, but... For the past few months, maybe maybe six to nine months, uh, a good handful of men that I've attracted uh, in my one-on-one coaching are men that actually didn't have uh, fathers present at all. Like at all. From ages of uh, one to three or one to five, their fathers were completely absent in their life. And so what happens? Especially if they didn't have, for better or for worse, a, a solid or any protective male figure in their life, or someone to play that role and model the father, it's going to rely on the mother. It's going to rely on the female in this dynamic. That's not to say or take away anything, anything from our mothers, from our sisters, from our aunts, from the women in our life. And actually now having a child, I am continually humbled and blown away at single parents in general, whether it's Uh, A child raised by uh, a father or a mother, it is such such deep work, such deep work. And it blows me away having two, you know, Lauren and I are very committed parents, and there's a lot of love there. And it's not easy at all. Actually, I'm I'm actually really surprised at how challenging it is and how much it tests me at every level. And so to do, you know, to be a parent, especially a single parent my God. And so it's a lot. And so, you know, boys, especially that are raised by women, not to say that you, you're you not, that, that, that it won't, um, how do I say this? That uh, like you can't be a phenomenal person. In fact, these men that I know, and most men are solid men, curious men, courageous men, but there's a there's a longing for that father figure. And oftentimes what it ends up showing up as is this constantly looking outward outward of self for validation. And so we externalize ourselves very much, almost like we're leaking energy. Because once again, that is some of the most fundamental nourishment that we never got. right? And again, there's nothing against or not saying anything about the women in our life. In fact, so many of them have had to step up in ways that ideally they shouldn't have had to. But that doesn't mean that that's not left with some hole in us that we need to fill in some way, shape or form. Now as we grow and as we mature and as we understand these things and reflect, you know part of our roles is, as, as all people, whether we've had mother and fathers or not present in our life, the role for all of us is to learn how can we integrate those past parts of ourselves. And learn to self parent, self father, self mother ourselves in the way that we needed, but maybe didn't receive. And that also relates to people who have had two parents in their lives and were amazing parents. But oftentimes, what we needed as young children didn't always show up, you know, and that can be in subtle ways or overt ways. And so, no matter if we've had the best parents in the world, our journey in maturity. And being kings or queens, let's say, is how can we learn to give ourselves the love, give ourselves the intention, the validation, the acknowledgement, the care that we always wanted. That's really the journey. And what I've really found is men play a special, men being among men, not men being among among boys, men being among real men is what is needed in many regards. And this is why men sharpen other men. Now, for today's podcast, I wanted to go into uh, five areas. This could be a way longer discussion, but five areas in which really uncover or bring shed light on ways that men, having a council of brothers, for example, can help sharpen and elevate other men. Now, the first, the first is integrity. Now, integrity, the way I want to break this down is even integrity at the most micro level. Now, this could show up very tangibly in terms of, do we do do what we're going to say we're going to do? One of the best books of all times, in my opinion, is Don Miguel Ruiz's uh, The Four Agreements. If you haven't read it, if you haven't listened to it on Audible, get it. It is uh, incredibly powerful and it's very, very, very simple. Yeah, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and then always do your best. Such, such a powerful good book. Now, integrity at the micro level may be just honoring the time that we say we're going to show up or the time we're going to start work, the time we're going to end work, closing loops in communication. This is a lot about... Uh, increasing our trustability to, of course, ourselves, but to all those people who experience us. And again, it happens at the micro level. And so much of it has to do with the impeccability of our word and and our word in general. Word is so powerful. And I want to share with you a practice that I introduced at this most recent retreat that has been um, just super, super transformative for me and for the men. And essentially, it's a practice called 12 words or less. Now, this came from the work of, or at least through my understanding, through the work of a guy named John McMullen. Um, And he shared this with Jason Olivier, who's been on the podcast, and Lauren, my wife, who's done a lot of training with him. And so this concept of 12 words or less comes from him, at least that I'm aware of again. And it's really, how can we condense and with surgical accuracy communicate what we're trying to communicate in simply 12 words or less. We should be able to communicate what we want to in 12 words or less. And anything beyond that or anything beyond that essentially invites in more of the story. And that's not to say that the story isn't important. That's not to say that the story doesn't have a time and a place. However, by and large, when we get lost in the story, when we think about these repetitive cycles, Right, these patterns, whatever it is that no longer serve us, that we're trying to, to uh, create a new groove for, a new way of being and becoming, a lot of it has to do with getting in the trance, almost like a hip- hypnotic state, a subtle hypnotic state unconsciously into the story once again. And again, it's not to say that the story isn't important, but when it comes to being a clear, solid, concise, masculine leader, If you do the practice of 12 words or less, it will transform you. And oftentimes when when guys are coming into these events, um, usually I'll send them a few questions for them to begin the process of clarifying their intention, what they really want to get out of it. And honesty, -honesty self-honesty is huge and it's actually the prerequisite. But with these four questions, I'll give you an example. What do you want to walk away with? What do you want to leave this experience being able to say to yourself? What are you most afraid of? What do you want to learn about yourself and or in your intimate relationship? Then it's looking at all of that and condensing each one of those in 12 words or less. And then from there, condensing each one of those into one word. That process of editing down, editing down is a way in which what you're doing is, it's almost like so many of us, uh, myself included, and this is a practice for myself, leak energy. We bleed energy with our words. And oftentimes we feel that we need to say everything for the other person to understand or to hear us or to fully capture what we're trying to say. But oftentimes it does the opposite. And oftentimes what I find is, is it actually decreases our level of trustability with those people listening to us when we go off into these trance-like state. Because oftentimes the story, the story is a way in which unconsciously we are age regressing. And so if you're not familiar with that, that term or that concept, when we get triggered, when something happens and we, we trigger ourselves about what we've made something mean, oftentimes unconsciously we go back in time and it happens so quickly. And so seductively, we go back, for example, into 10-year-old Mike or 8-year-old Mike when something else happened. And that is where I learned who I needed to be to survive that situation and never brought healing to that or integrated that part later in life. And so when something happens, like I'll just use an example. This just happened today. I was driving and it's, it's, it's the holidays, actually Thanksgiving today that I'm recording this. And I don't know what's going on, but I just got... I was driving with with my wife and my son. And when I'm driving by myself, I, tr- I try to be a pretty safe driver. But when they're in the car and when they're in the car, I am like spidey senses. I've dr- uh, I just recognize that I have the most precious beings in my life with me. It's my job to protect them. And so my spidey senses go way up. And I had about at least six cars that literally looked like Fast and Furious, all of them, and I don't know how far apart they were, but they were just swerving in, out, literally came in and almost hit us like twice. And I was so angry. I was so flipping angry. And in that moment, <laughs> there wasn't 36-year-old Mike. There was uh, an angry, angry younger version of Mike that felt like he was getting taken advantage of, that felt like he was uh, being bullied, that felt like he was being controlled, and that he was being abused. And so I regressed right back. And there was, you know, I tried to keep my cool and breathe, but there was, uh, there was a lot of anger that surfaced. And there is, a, there is a time and a place for sure to, to harness that anger. It's protective. It lets, it lets others know what is, uh, what is a yes, what is a no. It holds up our boundaries. But I only bring that up because in that moment I was not thinking rationally. I just lashed out and and it took every part of um, control not to want to speed after these guys and not wanting to actually react dangerously to these guys. And so I calmed myself, I would say, fairly quickly because I recognized that I had my family in my car. But that's just one example how in that moment, there was a split second where... I was not 36-year-old Mike anymore. And so I bring up this 12 words or less because as we're, we're communicating with others, it helps so much in our level of trustability, our level of integrity of our word, when we can hone in what exactly we're trying to say and once again, not get lost in the trance of the past story. That's number one. Number two is the illumination of blind spots. Having a solid container of men or any man in your life who can sharpen you, it is so helpful when they can bring about what we can't see. So I'll use one example. I was just in Texas. And my uh, my business coach Stefan was driving with me. Now this is the third time he said this to me, and so finally, finally, uh, I feel ready. I felt ready to hear it and and to start shifting this. And it was this: I was talking about uh, I don't know some guy and and who I think there was some payment issues or something like that. Like someone promised they were going to pay for something that they got services for, but then didn't end up paying or paid much later. And I prefaced it with, "He's a great guy," and super cool, super ground or whatever it was. I prefaced it by sugarcoating. And then I got into what I was actually trying to say. And he stopped me real quick. He interrupted me. He goes, Mike, you don't have to do that with me. Just tell me what you really feel. Just tell me straight up. And this is the third time he's caught me in the last few months sugarcoating or prefacing things before I actually give my honest, no bullshit assessment of a situation or my experience of a person. And now, just like in all these retreats, one of the things that we do is right after we set solid commitments. And those commitments are meant to drive change home. And how are we going to bring home at a very practical level, a very tangible level, how are we going to bring home what we've experienced in these retreats? That's that's the name of the game. Yes, these retreats or these experiences are incredibly powerful, peak experiences. We can get a lot of healing done, feel so incredibly supportive. But the real task is when we come home. And when people are relating to us in ways that they've known us in the past, you know, so many of us have difficulty in integrating past parts of self or in integrating new parts of ourselves because we're going back to a world of familiarity, a world of familiar relationships, jobs, ways of being, environment, home. And so it can be really hard to ingrain a new pattern. But when we have people who can show us those blind spots of what we can't see due to our conditioning and due to all the reasons I just shared, oh my gosh, it can sharpen the heck out of us. And so one of my commitments after this retreat, even though I'm leading, I absolutely take it seriously. I take you know, my own commitments from this. It's for 30 days. I'm going to be even more mindful and I want to stop and will stop that pattern of sugarcoating before I actually say what I'm really intending on saying. And again, this even connects back to that last point of the 12 words are left, just being very meticulous meticulous with our word and having people around us that can show us things or help illuminate things from a loving place. I didn't take it as shame or blame. And even if I would have, knowing that he's there as a brother with loving, you know, sharpening words, um, that's something that I would need to work through on my own, honestly, or, or I just know his intention was good. And oftentimes what I even find is it doesn't even matter so much how It doesn't even matter so much. I'm sorry, the words that are said, it matters more the energy behind them. And so I knew it was coming from a place of love. And I just told him, I was like, dude, thank you. Thank you for helping sharpen me. These are the types of masculine relationships that I want. And when I talked about bringing and driving change home, you know, a big part is how can we recreate elements or whether it's rituals or practices, even at the most subtle level. And also, how can we be more discerning with the types of people and relationships in our life so that we can bring the retreat home with us? And if most all of the masculine relationships that we have at home are ones of sharpening us from a loving place, man then there's not this big disparity or this big gap between retreat and home and we can actually have aspects of these experiences at all times and it takes conscious effort and choosing especially of those types of people we want to surround ourselves with the third area of how men can sharpen other men is offering a counsel especially for big decisions in life for example whether it's you know um considering getting a divorce or buying a new car, buying a new house, leaving a job or transitioning jobs—these are big decisions, big decisions that have consequences and repercussions, and repercussions not just on ourselves, but on so many people around us. And what I've really noticed is this pattern within men, many men, and myself included, is we have these decisions, and then it's almost as if we we sit. We meditate, we think about it, and then we come to some conclusion, we just act. Never actually gotten feedback or insight from other people around it can show us we can't see or insights and to help us dig. So an example would be, let's say the car. So I'm going to buy a car, big investment. And I've sat with it, I feel like it's going to inspire me. It's going to you know, help me embody this new identity, and uh, it's also a utility car, so I can think of all the ways that it's going to benefit my life and my business, and I'm going to carry all this equipment. It's big enough to bring my family, and I've thought about it from every angle. Then I bring that to the council, or I bring that to another man, or I bring that to a group of men, and they start asking questions. They start kind of digging and digging and digging. And they bring up the fact that, oh, why do you need a $120,000 car when one, you're not even bringing in remotely that and there's other things that are actually more pressing in your life, like saving up for your child's school, that's just going to start in a year or two, or the wedding that you have to pay off. And yet, do you really need a $120,000 car? And also, didn't you just buy a car two years ago? Or what's to say that after you buy this car, that's going to be the difference? And all this stuff isn't going to repeat again. Now, I'm using this this scenario to to bring up the fact that there's so many things that we cannot see. And when we're asked the right questions, like if one guy points something out, okay, maybe listen. May or may not be valid. But if six guys, four, five, six, seven, ten guys are all saying the same thing, (laughs) you better believe there's going to be some value there and if we're wise we would do very well to listen to what they're saying and recognize in for example in a scenario like this maybe it's not the car or maybe i can get a car for a third the price or maybe that's something that will defer a year from now and it's actually not necessary right now or might not be necessary at all and i can use that funds to invest and actually put that 120k in the bank And then actually have it earning uh, residual income, passive income. And then all of a sudden, now I've paid all these other bills. So I bring that up because having a counsel who can show different... Ask the right questions, show different options, uh, bring in their life experiences. Maybe you have a car salesman in the group. Holy shit. And I have no idea about cars or, or buying a home. And they start asking questions that you never even thought to ask and also brought up the repercussions that we're not even thinking about. Number four is vulnerability and having a safe container. So many of us live on autopilot with wearing multiple, multiple masks. And I don't know any way to really grow than other, other than to grow through honesty through realness, through vulnerability. This is why the men in my life that I cherish so much, yes, sharpen me up, but provide a safe place for me to be vulnerable and to be real with them. Because otherwise I'm just putting up some mask or putting up some facade and they'll never really get to know me and I'll really never get to know them. Which is why, again, not only these containers, but having people and men in our life or groups or whatever that hold that that can hold you in that vulnerability and be that place that really um, is almost like a refuge for you. And if you're able to show those parts of yourself, not only what I found is it incredibly healing and growth promoting for the person sharing, but it's also incredibly nourishing for the people listening. In fact, I'm also always blown away at how much that I learn in these containers simply just by hearing other men's life experience that I didn't have. Now, I may find parts of myself that I see in their stories, which is holy shit, wow. I didn't even know that they felt the same way. Wow, that feels so, I feel acknowledged. I feel like I'm not the only one. I'm not the lone wolf who's experiencing this. But then also, I can appreciate guys that I have had completely different life experiences and offer perspectives or ways of being that I, I'm just completely humbled to learn. And it inspires me, it nourishes me. It shows me so much on how other people have had, you know, in many ways, more challenging lives than me and still fucking show up. And so it allows me to even hold the the, the mirror of self-accountability and self-ownership, even at a higher level. So what I found is vulnerability is absolutely critical for people to know us and for us to know ourselves. And without it, it's almost impossible, impossible to begin rewriting a story uh, if we're not willing to actually be honest with ourselves, transparent, and lead with our heart. That's ultimately what we're trying to do is learn to lead with our heart with our feet grounded in the ground. That's what we're really trying to do and to do so and to rise each other up and help each other rise up. Number five, healthy competitiveness. And when I say healthy competitiveness, so many men through my understanding and even my own experience have a a pretty poor relationship with competitiveness with other men. There's a lot of envy and wanting other men to fail or feeling jealous when other men are succeeding and wanting other men to not be successful in their work environment or in their relationship. And a lot of that comes from insecurity and in these containers where it's held well. It's held well in safety and security. And with all of the energy that I've already discussed in this podcast, like I say to the guys, like I really won't ask you for for much. But what I will ask is for your very best because I want that for you and I want that for the whole container. And, you know, an analogy or an example to this would be like in the training environment. Like I'm pretty intrinsically motivated, trained uh, for years at a time by myself in my garage, and I can get a great workout, I can get a good push in. But you throw in a good training partner or two or three training partners, and there's going to be a whole nother level. That I go to, the energy, uh, even just the coaching, the technique, the calling up, the the wanting the best for the other, and not settling if you know that they're capable of more, and and calling them up, not shaming them down, but calling them up to something greater. And when you do that, the whole collective, the whole container, the whole group, the whole relationship gets stronger. And so rewriting this energy of unhealthy competitiveness with one that is more um, aligned towards a common goal, like you are all aiming to move forward together because in life, we're either doing one of three things. We're either moving forward, we're staying in the same spot, or we're moving back. And I would imagine if you're listening to this podcast and you've gotten this far with me, you are someone who is motivated to move forward in your life. You are motivated to be better for yourself, for your community, for your family, and leave a generational impact on the the kids that will come after us. And so in order to do that, we need to support each other. We need to call each other up and, and call the best out of each other. And when it comes from a place of love, when it comes from a place of love, the energy behind it is so different, and it continually amazes me at what's possible when we show up in that way with love, with integrity, with presence, with depth, with trustability, uh, with feedback—laser feedback—and that's uh, it's just an incredible energy to be around. So I'm still riding a high from this, from the retreat, uh, and even this this trip from Texas that I was on and it's just so apparent to me at why men real men need other real men you know by and large we've lost that in society and so we're needing to consciously create it through containers like this or through intentional rites of passage or through our friend group or through the people we choose to spend time with i mean i imagine that you'll agree with me i mean even in just having one person one person in our life who tears us down who shames us or blame like that, that's a very heavy energy to hold. And so, you know, there's certain, there's certain relationships that yes, like we don't necessarily, we do and we don't, you know, choose who our parents are or maybe our siblings. But we are always, you may have heard me in the past, we are always teaching others how to us. We establish boundaries. The time that we other people, the people that we surround ourselves with, we are in choice we are in choice. And when we can get clear on the direction that we're heading and the types of relationships that we want, the experiences that we choose, where we choose to spend our money, the books that we choose to read, the news that we choose to to watch or to listen to, the types of practices that we choose to engage with on our time and our free time, all of those things are little, little, little bits on how we can sharpen and live a life of greater presence. And power, but not power in like a, I don't mean to say like living a more powerful life from like a domineering perspective, but living a more powerful, a a more capable life, a more life affirmative life, one that is capable of making a larger impact with love and from love on all those around us. But it calls in many regards for men to be with men. I know I've hammered that home so much, but I'm continually um, in awe. Of it when when quality men show up for other quality men, it's remarkable the change that can happen. And so wherever you are, whether you can or cannot attend any of these containers that I'm speaking, that's all good. And the invitation is to create it yourself. You know, someone recently wrote on social media something to the effect of like they were trying to cast some shade on, on I think the retreat or something. They're like, uh, something about like not being able to afford. Yeah, like must be nice that uh, for people who can afford it, and to me that's a cop out. Yeah, there's a financial you know exchange for when someone shows up, and I've been leading a free men's workout and connection session every single month for over almost two years. I lead uh, one day very low cost events. There's online groups. Um, you can create one yourself. So many of the men's groups that I know. We're starting the reason why we me and my my homie Tyler LaFlock started the men's group uh in the Bay Area, the once-a-month workout, is because yeah, we wanted to show men this existed, but also we wanted it too. So if you're a man and you're craving for what I'm talking about, create it yourself. Don't wait for anybody else to do it. Shit, hit me up if you want ideas. Uh, you want to talk, or you know, uh, given the the timing of things, uh, I'm happy to to hop on a brief call, or you know, let you know ways that I've learned how to build this in your area. You know, freaking start a reading group. Get a get a book, King Warrior, Magician, Lover on the different archetypes, and just freaking uh, send it out to your homies around. How can we, you know, you guys down to meet once a week and read ten pages and talk about the major lessons? Just that just that. Get some structure. Hit me up if you want any advice, but create it. Bring the change home through rituals, through practices, through the people that you choose to surround yourself with and watch. Watch what happens in six months, a year, two years, three years, the change that shows up for yourself and all of those that you love. I wish you a beautiful day. And uh, yeah, take it easy. Happy holidays, everybody. Ciao. Much love. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.